want to welcome you to the show as we have the one and only Brad Quinquist joining me on the show here today. Brad, Thank how are you. you doing? How's your Thank you, Max. Going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This oh, is very course. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. But I want to get into your early beginnings here because you originally grew up in Virginia. Yes. Yes. I was, well, I was born in Maryland and uh, I was, uh, my, my father was in the army. So we moved around a lot. Finally, uh, kind of settled in Virginia for a while from the age, from 1966, when I was six years old. And uh, yeah, I grew up in Falls Church, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. And um, eventually made my way down to Richmond to go to school at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. They had a very good uh, uh, BFA program for theater. And uh, after that, I bounced up to New York. Um, Lived in New York for 10 years and then uh, bounced out here to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And there's there's my life of travels. <laughs> <laughs> your love of horror began when you saw the classic Universal Monsters with Dracula, Frankenstein. You're a huge fan of the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when I was a kid. I was a kid. And um, yeah, I, I just... Uh, I just fell in love with those. I, I loved to be scared. I loved watching these. There was a show. There was a show on um, on Friday nights there in the DC area. It was called Sir Graves Gastly Presents. And um, his name was Lawton Demings, I believe. And he was out of Detroit. So he did, you know, one of those, you know, introductory things. Um, mm -hmm to each uh, uh, nightly show. And they were hilarious, they're, they're great. You can find little clips of him doing uh, some of his shows on, uh, on YouTube, um, Sir Graves Ghastly. And that like just got me hooked on those, um, those old universal horror films, you know? I, I just thought they were great. And I watched every week, every week. And it was at like 11.30 at night on a Friday night. So it was when it started. And, uh, you know, being a kid, that was really, really late to stay up, you know, uh, especially back in those days in the, in the 70s. Um, but I would, I would stay up and watch every, every Friday night. And, you know, I still have a great affection for those movies, um, especially Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein. I think Bride of Frankenstein is a brilliant, brilliant movie. The, 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 the framing and the, the iconography in that film is just, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing for, for kind of a, a, you know, kind of a low budget um, yeah. <laughs> 1930s horror movie. It was, it's just amazing. But, oh, you know, also Frankenstein, great, great. And um, Dracula, um, uh, the Wolfman, Werewolf of London, you know, all of those, the Invisible Man, all, <laughs> all of those movies. I love them. And that led to, you know, you know, the big Japanese monster movies, Godzilla and and uh, Rodan and all of those, uh, all of those things. Reptilicus, which was like a Danish, <laughs> a Danish version of a Japanese uh, monster movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and I still, I still have a lot of affection for it. As a matter of fact, I took my several years ago. I took my uh, kids to see um, Bride of Frankenstein in the here in in Hollywood. They have outdoor screenings at the um, Hollywood Forever uh, uh, Cemetery. Um, 
and they they project movies on the back of um, of Rudolph Valentino's mausoleum, and there's this big grassy area. And I took them there to see Bride of Frankenstein. They'd never seen it, and they were like, they flipped out. You know, they were little kids, and they just thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It's great to see Bride of Frankenstein in a cemetery. It's a great. Um, uh, a, a great uh, uh, venue for that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great to hear that they had an appreciation for it because I feel as though the youth today, when it comes to horror movies, I mean, the, the millennials and my generation, even younger, they just don't have that appreciation. They will only appreciate what comes in forward times almost. Yeah, but that's true of audiences in general, you know. Um, uh, but those of us in the business, you know, it's, um, and a lot of actors are like this, not all, but most, not so many of the young ones, but they'll get there. Um, that you, you gain a huge appreciation for all of, um, all of cinema history, going back to the 1890s, you know, uh, because there's great stuff you can steal. As an actor, you can steal stuff from all over the place, you know, yeah. um, and it's, it's, it's important to know what those genres were and how they were shot and what the acting style was, et cetera, et cetera. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with, with the horror genre, there's, there are a lot of, um, a lot of fans that I've come across that know this, this history of, of horror films very, very well going all the way back into the, you know, to Frank, the first Frankenstein film, film from 1913, you know, there are a number of fans that know this stuff inside out. So that's great. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you brought up an interesting universal monster before Werewolf of London. People tend to forget about that if they're not well versed in the horror history, because Lon Chaney, everyone looks at him as the, the first werewolf, but Henry Hull actually came before him. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yep, and that was the first werewolf movie I saw, and so I had a special affection for it. I always thought the others were not quite as good. <laughs> so <laughs> but now, did. looking at them again, I I, I I prefer the Lon Chaney ones, you know. The Lon Chaney, yeah, Lon Chaney. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. You can't forget about that. But yeah. you eventually break into the acting business, and you started the mime in Washington, D.C. You got into the mime business. Yes. Man, you have done your research, haven't Thank you? Thank you. Um, yes, that is... Uh, well, that's, see, here's what happened with me. Uh, at a certain point when I was a teenager, my, my obsession with horror movies suddenly shifted to, um, to silent comedies. And I, I, it was probably when Charlie Chaplin came to the United States to get his, um, his honorary Oscar, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award uh, sort of thing. And I remember watching that because my father wanted to watch it. And, uh, and then they, they, showed a, um, they showed his film, uh, The Gold Rush, on television. And I was just, you know, the thing I needed from horror movies was that, that fear factor, you know, that heart-beating fear factor. And that was suddenly shifted over to, like, out loud laughing, and uh, and so then for a while, I was just obsessed with silent comedies, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and Fatty Arbuckle and Mabel Norman, Keystone Cops, all of that stuff. And um, uh, so then that kind of turned towards mime. And so I started training in mime. Those are my first performing classes were mime, local local teachers teaching mime. And um, and so I I 
knew this guy who also did it and uh, he had done some street mimes. So we went down to, into Georgetown in uh, Washington DC and we would do mime together. And the first time we did that, we were a really big hit. I have no idea why. He was good. I was not very good, <laughs> but he was good. But um, uh, we got lots of cheers and applause and laughter from a lot of people and we passed the hat. And, uh, and I remember at the end of the night, we took the money, we went back to the car and sat there and split it up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I took one of those dollar bills and I set it aside. Uh, because it was the first money I had ever made performing. And somehow I, ha I had this clarity of mind to take that first dollar and put it aside. Years, years, years later, um, I'm here in Los Angeles and uh, my kids were like little, they were like two years old, three years old, you're climbing bookcase uh, age, right? And one of them climbed up the bookcase and happened to pull down this book and it fell on the floor and it opened up and a dollar came out. And I was like, ah, that was my dollar. It was inside a book uh, about Marcel Marceau, French mime. And, uh, and I recognize it, that's my dollar. That's the first dollar I ever made performing. And, uh, and so I had it framed and it's on my wall now. So I see it every day, that first dollar. Keeps me going when, when things are like, you know, when there's no work and you're thinking, oh, I'm all washed up, et cetera, et cetera. There's that first dollar. Uh, you know, and that kind of inspires me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great that you even kept that because I, I never hear the stories of actors keeping their first dollar because that's what really gets you going. That's what yep. you're always going to remember the most. Yes. Yes. I had for a while, I had um, two things. Well, first of all, that dollar is dated. Uh, it was a $1977. That was the year that I, I earned it. And, uh, and for a while, when I was in New York, uh, I had this pair of shoes. When I started working after a year in New York, I, I got a Broadway show and then I started doing movies and suddenly I was like working. And so I had these shoes that I was wearing before that work started and uh, they had holes in the bottom of the soles. So whenever it rained, uh, my feet would get soaking wet, but I couldn't afford new shoes, right? So when I started working, then I had those old shoes tied together and hanging in my room for a while as kind of the, the uh, an opposite reminder saying, ah, remember this, remember this, don't go back to this. <laughs> but after a while, they were a little too gross. And so I tossed them. <laughs> but I still have the dollar. <laughs> oh, that's good, though, that you still have the dollar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we get into Pet Cemetery in, in your horror career, you actually entered one of your own films into a Super 8 festival that you won against 40 competitors. Yes. 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 I made this film in 1978. And uh, with some friends of mine, I was just out of high school and uh, it's a silent chase comedy. It's like a Buster Keaton sort of thing. Half hour, super eight, black and white. I, I sprung for very expensive black and white film, which was expensive back then even. Um, and, uh, and silent with, you know, title cards for the dialogue and all of that. And uh, yeah, one best picture. <laughs> 
in this um, in this Super 8 film festival. And film, film festivals back then were nothing like they are now. There weren't many of them. You know, there were the big ones, Cannes and uh, Toronto and things like that. Uh, but local ones were, you know, few and far between. Uh, they're quite a popular thing now, but um, back then it wasn't. And uh, so, yeah, I entered it and won first place, best best film in competition, and uh, and a second award for best acting. <laughs> 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 when I was 19 years old. Oh, man, 19 years old. So and producer and, and actor you won, but not the directing side. Uh, no, I did not get uh, best director. So I guess best picture is for the producer and then best acting was, I, uh, I don't know if it was for me or for overall acting because, uh, you know, it was very much in the style of an early 20s silent film. So the acting wasn't great, but it captured that style, you know? Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> at 19, I was an award-winning filmmaker. <laughs> Congratulations. Not everyone can say that. <laughs> no, no, not many people can. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So you're in New York, you get an aggressive agent who originally set you up to get this audition for Pet Cemetery, and eventually it works out. And you, you didn't even think that you were going to get this because you just went and read your lines and they told you that you were good. And eventually you got the part as Victor Pascal, as we all know it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's how that happened. I was, uh, I was, um, See, I had done a, a movie the year before called The Bedroom Window. Uh, it was directed by Curtis Hansen, but before he was so well known as a director. And uh, it's a really good movie. Um, that was my first big film. Uh, and, and it got great reviews. I got great reviews all over the place. Um, uh, and that year that it came out, which was... 80, 87, yeah, I guess. Um, uh, it came out in like April, which is not the best time to release a film, but you know, it was a kind of a low budget film and they didn't know how it was gonna do. I think it was April or it was, no, maybe it was February. Anyway, uh, I got a lot of heat from that. And um, so Pet Cemetery came along. When that came along, I had like, I remember I had like, like seven scripts I had to read, like within the next couple of days. And Pet Cemetery was one of them. And my agent said, you know, this is real important. But they didn't want to see me at first. They, they, um, they wanted to see one of my agent's other clients. And he was so aggressive. He said, well, no, okay, here's the thing. If you want to see my other client, then you got to see Brad too. And they were like, oh, okay. Right. So I, I, because I was so busy and these other projects were like, okay, it was a, a De Palma film and it was a, oh, I don't remember <clears throat> what else. There were a bunch of really high profile films. And at that time, you know, Stephen King was kind of grudgingly given a, a, um, grudgingly given um, uh, credit for what he had been doing, for, for the novels he had been writing, but it wasn't really accepted by any, like either by the literary establishments and not so much by the, um, the film world either, although it was, it was coming, but it was like, ah, it's horror, it's horror. And horror was still kind of a separate thing and looked down upon, 
very much so, you know, at the time. So, um, so, you know, I was like, oh, this horror movie. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, and I like just went in and kind of did a reading and just kind of played around and, uh, I was put on tape and then I got a call back to meet the director, Mary Lambert. And, um, and she was like, oh, I loved your audition. And I was like, well, I was just playing around. It was actually a really good lesson for me because playing around is what we should do, us actors, all the time. Um, and, uh, and we talked about it and about the role and all of that. And she, she had seen me in the bedroom window. So she was very excited about working with me. And, uh, and then my agent, <laughs> my, you know, they, they were going back and forth negotiating because I'd gotten this offer and he was like, they offered, you know, minimums, but we can get more. And I was like, oh, just take it. I need the, I need the work. I need the work. And he was like, no, no, just, just relax. Forget about it. I'll take care of it. And finally he negotiated the deal on a Friday night while he was playing poker. He had a Friday night poker game and like, what a great time to be negotiating a deal. You know, he'd be playing poker and betting and, you know, all of that. And then he'd step away because he'd get a phone call. Okay. And he would like do a little bit of negotiating and hang up and then go back to his poker game. So he got me a good deal on the thing, you know, and then boom, that was that. That was it. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I met Stephen King on the set because he played the minister, but it was very brief. He kind of just went up to you. It was like, oh, you look great. This is how I envisioned yeah. Victor Pascal. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I was talking to a very large 12-year-old. <laughs> he was so uh, he was so excited about the makeup and uh, and and very happy with it. He was like, oh, that looks great. That's so great. And see, I couldn't really hang around um, in that makeup when when we would have lunch, for example, and that was at a lunch break, I would always go into my trailer because the first day that I was in makeup and I sat down to have lunch, we had spaghetti. And, you know, I had that, that whole brain thing on there and the, all the blood and everybody on that side of the table got up and left. And they were like, I'm sorry, I can't eat the spaghetti seeing that brain. And I thought, oh, I didn't even think of that. So from then on, I would just go to my trailer and have lunch alone, you know, um, <laughs> if I was in makeup. So, so and that's where he caught me. Uh, yeah, so that was my one brush with, uh, with Mr. King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear this interesting story from your trailer, actually. I have the picture here, and it may bring back some memories. Charlie Sheen visited your trailer, I saw. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, wow. that was uh, that was one night. I was either getting made up or having it taken off. I don't remember, but he was there visiting David Anderson. He was a friend of David Anderson's, and they were going to hang out for a while. And uh, yeah, he just came by, and I met him. We did some pictures, and he was reciting a bunch of poems from a book of poetry he had written and we were just hanging out. It was fun. You know, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, of course, a lot of joking about my brain and all of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Classic. that was, a, that was a fun evening. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, the makeup process, it took four hours on a good day because I know yeah. I've heard the story that you had to go home and clean everything off and it was really sticky. The glue. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, it it would depend how long it took would depend very much on uh, what was being shot. If if we were only doing close ups and all they had to 
get was this. They could they could get it in um, you know a close up of my face. They could get it in done in three hours. But doing the hands and the arms and the legs, the legs uh, especially, that took longer. And if the shots were later in the movie, you know, there's more veins. There were like three stages of veins. Early, the early shots in the movie, the middle shots, and the later shots, and and each with each of those three sections, they got more and more veiny. So by the end, if the the shots, if they had to do my whole body, face and whole body, and the shots were at the end of the movie, so more veins, uh, I would um, uh, it would take about five hours. Wow. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. And, and you should be proud of that because you're not a part of the CGI era. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would. And, and they didn't have any of these little, you know, um, blower things to paint it on. It was all hand painted. Every bit of it was hand painted every time. All those little veins. It's amazing what those guys did. Yeah. And then, yeah, at the end of the day, it took about an hour in the makeup trailer for them to get everything off. And then I'd go back to my little cabin in the woods there and scrub some more because I couldn't get everything. So then that was another hour of scrubbing, you know, scrubbing here and scrubbing here and here and here, you know, <laughs> finding little bits of glue all over the, my body. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was, uh, it was a long process, but um, David Anderson and um, his assistant, John Blake, and I, we had a great time. We had a great time. Or I don't know about them, but I had a great time with them. You know, uh, we laughed a lot, a lot. It was a great deal of fun. So that made the time go by very quickly. Ground beyond is sour. But my favorite line in the movie is, who said you were dreaming? Just when you come up and, and you grab Dale on the shoulder, that yeah. delivery right there, it just sets the tone of the movie right there for me. Yes, that was my first shot. That was my first shot, but we had to reshoot it. Um, that at first we shot it, and Dale was did not have a um, the shirt on. He was he, he was bare chested, and you know, same thing. I threw my arm around him, and Mary Lambert, the director, somehow got me to deliver this very ambiguous sort of reading from it. You know. Uh, who said you were dreaming? Very simple, and and she was so excited after that. And that was my first shot, and that was exciting for me. I couldn't quite figure out why she was so excited about it. But now, when you know, once I saw the movie, I was like, oh, that's great. That's kind of that's kind of uh, scary, you know. Uh, um, but we had to reshoot it. Uh, I don't know why. I think there. There were some there were some problems. I don't I don't remember what. But uh, so a day or two later, we had to reshoot it. But we got the same thing, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, that's that's my favorite line of dialogue in the whole movie from myself. And I'm I'm glad to know that there's one other person on this planet who agrees with yeah. me. <laughs> you know, because usually you know I go to conventions and uh, the fans like uh, these other lines, like you know the ground beyond is sour and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. They really get into those. Uh, but my favorite is um, who said you were dreaming? Because that yeah. does set it up, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does, because when you picture a horror character, 
you embody that performance right there. Just how you not even just just with the words just adds to it completely. But that when you grab his shoulder, that's just a completely other that just adds to it. Yes, but a lot of that is done by the camera, the the camera work and the the music. You know, because yeah. all I did was bump, put my sh- my arm around his shoulder. You know, that's all I did. And but you you add a certain camera angle to that, boom, and then pan over and. Uh, and have that little bit of music goes, you know, that it becomes a scary thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or not a scary thing, but kind of a uh, discomforting thing. <laughs> <laughs> Who said you were dreaming? That's the best line to me. I completely agree. <laughs> Classic. And Fred Gwynn, you were able to work with such a legend on the set because if everyone knows him, that's Herman Munster and the Munster. So how was he on the set and what was it like meeting him for the first time? Fred is one of the sweetest or was one of the sweetest people on the planet. I got to say he's, he was so sweet. Uh, we never got to work in the same scene. That's right. Together, you know, but we would pass each other. We would pass each other. Um, you know, I'd be coming on and he'd be getting off or the other way around. Uh, very often we had lunch together um, and just chatted and chatted and chatted. Very sweet man. And, I think his performance, his performance in the film is is the spine of the whole movie. He's he was so good, you know. Just in that that opening scene uh, where Ellie asks him about that path, you know, they're in the yard, and she says, "Where does that path go?" And he looks. And and then this camera slowly pushes in on him, and he says, "Oh, that that's." Uh, that's a story um, I'll tell you another time. That like sets up the whole thing in just two or three little lines. He sets up this, this anticipation of something terrible happened or will happen. And it, it's brilliant and he does it so easily. It's not thrown in your face, but it sets up the whole movie. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think looking back, he's, he's just, he was a brilliant actor, a brilliant actor. He was so brilliant. He would hide all of that skill. You would never see it. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's the sign of a really, really great actor that you don't see their acting at all, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they, they fulfill, they more than fulfill the needs of the, the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so brilliant man. Uh, at the end of the, the shoot, he gave me, you know, he, he would um, illustrate children's books. That's right. I right? Did about that. Yeah, he would write them and illustrate them. And he gave me one. And on the inside cover, he had drawn a picture of Church the Cat, but with the brain, you know, hanging out. <laughs> 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 oh that's amazing so it's kind of like a, a combination of church and uh victor pascal <laughs> <laughs> do you still have that book yeah uh-huh yeah. yep yep amazing yep. i'll never part with that yeah you can't yeah. it's such a legend it's such a shame because i've heard in in watching the documentaries about him is that he just couldn't get over the fact of being typecast because of him playing herman munster oh yeah yeah well that was another brilliant performance that yeah. he did week after week after week you know um yeah yeah but he was he was great a very gentle man too very funny very gentle um 
uh, and very giving. <laughs> he, uh, there's this one story one night, uh, you know, I was, uh, it was the night that he was shooting the scene where he had to confess to Lewis that he felt like he was guilty of uh, his son's death. And, um, and <laughs> he told me it was dawn, I was just coming on and he, he had been there all night. And I said, uh, Fred, how'd it go last night? Oh, 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 a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Last night, I, you know, I did the scene where I'm talking with Lewis and I wanted to have those tears and I couldn't get those tears. I couldn't get them. And we did the scene over and over and that, ah, no, they weren't there. They weren't there. And so finally I took a little break, stepped away, smoked three cigarettes and drank five cups of coffee, got back and there they were right there, right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's so funny it's so it fun those are those those actor things you know that the general audience never thinks of no. oh what this big star wanted tears and couldn't get them and he finally got them by smoking a bunch of cigarettes and having a bunch of coffee what that's like that's, <laughs> sorry everyone i just spoiled the the magic for you but that that is what it comes down to this is real behind <laughs> yeah. the scenes processing that goes on here <laughs> yeah yeah you know you go through years of acting classes and you're working on uh on on you know your motivation and conflict and all that and what it really comes down to is is you know just rattling your physical system so much that you break down and break those masks and the yeah. tears come <laughs> <laughs> i'm curious to hear the first time seeing yourself in the mirror with the victor pascal makeup on because when you read the script you may have a different picture of what it looks like in your mind but when you see it in the mirror it's completely different then you really want to bring this character to life in your own way yes yes well seeing it being built piece by piece you know what you look at is okay can we see the um can we see the edge of the of the prosthetic piece, you know? And no, couldn't see any edge there. It was really well done. And uh, okay, there's blood there. You can't touch there or there or there because there's blood and it's still sticky and it's gonna be sticky all day. This was a problem that was difficult with the makeup in that I couldn't really touch anything because uh, that, that blood, if I touched, inadvertently had a little itch boom and then I had blood on my hand and anything that I touched that on got blood on it you, you see what I mean so I kind of had to go through my day like this in a way I couldn't really touch anything I couldn't drink I had to drink everything out of a straw um uh, so that was difficult but seeing it for the first time I don't really remember I do know that we the, we all wanted in the book it's described that his his collarbone is jutting out and we all wanted to do that but it just wasn't feasible it, it couldn't be done in the time that the makeup needed to be done you, you know what i mean but i would say this these guys uh, you know david anderson brought a bunch of actual morgue photos of people who had head injuries from traffic accidents. Uh, and, and they were so, so horrible. It was, we, we did not go that far. Yeah. We kind of went in the middle, you know, we didn't go to the really bad ones because that was just, oh, it was too much, too, yeah. too much. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
but there were plenty of pictures that were very much exactly what Stephen King describes in his book and and what uh, they did on me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, then you've got all this makeup to either act through or not, you know? Um, and that's a little tricky in itself, you know? What do you do with all of that? Because you're completely covered up, you know? <laughs> but what I try to do is get, it, get the, the thing in my eyes, the benevolence, because to me, he was a guardian angel. He was just a guardian angel. He wasn't a ghost, he's a guardian angel. And so my one place was to get this little twinkle, this goodness coming out of my eyes because my eyes, well, one eye did not have makeup on. One had a, a clouded contact. So out of that one eye, just this, this little twinkle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I tried to do. And I think I was successful here and there, at least in some shots. Yeah. yeah. I believe that you kept an angel or a guardian angel on your script book too. Yes. Yeah, I did. I had a notebook and uh, on the cover, there was a picture. I found a picture that I just copied from a book. I don't know where I got that. And it was a, um, an angel sitting on the bed of a child sleeping. The child was sleeping and the angel was just sitting there. And that was my constant reminder. You are not a monster. You are not a ghoul. You are not a demon. You are an angel. You are here to help and to give hope and, and to give uh, benevolence, right? That's, that's how I played the role. And I, I think I was fairly successful at that. Oh, I hope so. You know, you uh -huh. can tell me. <laughs> 100%. Because but, when you think about it, I could have gone way off track, you know? You, oh, well, like, just on the appearance. <laughs> yes, I could have, like, looked in the mirror and saw that that makeup and been like, okay, I'm going to be the scary guy, you know? I'm going to be like, I'm going to, you know, <clears throat> I could have played that, and that would have thrown the whole movie out of balance, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I played it as an angel, as that, uh, as a beautiful, uh, benevolent angel there to help. And it worked perfectly. It was the complete opposite of what Andrew played. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we did these shots um, uh, later in the studio here in Los Angeles, uh, like six months after the shooting. And uh, it was, it, the, some of the shots that we did in that session were used like, like uh, when my, in the, when I was in the pet cemetery with Dale at the beginning and I said, don't go on, blah, blah, blah. And he falls to the ground crying and I rise up into the air. And that shot where you see my feet going up, you know, we did that in the studio um, much later, but we also did these shots that they, we're hoping to use, you know, the, the scene where I'm walking down the trail at night with, with Dale following me, the, the, the shot, we shot all of that on the set, but in the, in the studio, um, they wanted me, they hooked me up with wires and I would, I would walk and then I would go into a trot and then my, my feet would go up and I started flapping my arms and I flew down the path into the woods, right? Um, 
And I thought, oh, how cool is that? And it was all, you know, I was stationary and the camera came past me like that, but I was like flapping my arms and all that. It's so great. But uh, it wasn't used. And years later, I, I ran into Mary and I asked her, why didn't they use that? And she said, oh, the, the visual effects were just not quite good enough. They were too distracting um, to be used. So we decided not to use it because it just, it, it, it just took you out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Well, Pet Cemetery is a is a, a complete classic. It's on every year Fear Fest. It's actually on tonight. They're having the Stephen King marathon on AMC Fear Fest today, and right, right. It's, it's always a must watch to see. And I, I want to know what your reaction was when you first found out that you were going to be on the poster. Victor Pascal was going to be on the poster of Pet Cemetery. Oh well, that was a great surprise. That was that was terrific. I you know I didn't know anything about that, and one day I just got this this big tube in the mail, and I was like, "What in the world is this?" And I saw, "Oh, it's from Paramount." Well, okay, let's see. I opened it up and unrolled this thing, and there was my face. Holy <laughs> cow! I thought, "Oh, this is great. This is great." And you know, I was so young. I didn't see it as you know. These days, I would be like, "Ah, oh, good, good. That's going to get me the next job." You know, <laughs> when you're young, you just get excited about it. Like, oh, look at me. I'm on a poster, <laughs> you know, and now now I would be like, OK, good. I got to segue this into the next acting gig, you know, the next show, the next movie, you know, <laughs> something like that. But I thought it was great. I love the poster. I, I really uh, I think it's a terrific the original poster. I think it's terrific. You know, mm, I do. too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was there ever talks because I, we know how sequels can be in the in the horror world was there ever talks of bringing victor pascal into the sequel and, and you reprising the role at all even though victor pascal didn't end up being in it but was there ever talks not that i know of uh nobody contacted me about it um uh so mm, i don't know if there were anywhere but uh not not that i know of mm-hmm. I know that you eventually saw the remake with Denise Crosby in the movie theaters and the guy roped off the theater so you two could watch it because she ended up telling the, the ticket guy or the guy that gives you your seats to the, that you played in the original. And he said that, yes, you that was, uh, yeah, I'll tell you the whole story. That was great fun because Denise, Denise uh, and I live uh, rather, you know, somewhat close to each other here in L.A. And so we see each other every so often for a while. Uh, her son and my son were both playing in little league. And so I would see her every couple of days on the ballpark and we'd sit and chat and, you know, um, stuff like that. And uh, so, yeah. So, so when the, the remake came out, I, um, uh, we contacted each other and said, let's go together. Let's go together. And she was like, yeah, okay. And we said, let's go to a show that's not going to have many people so that we don't take attention away from the movie where it should be, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there were some new theaters near where she lived. And, um, and uh, so we met and went to those theaters at like, like one o'clock show on a Wednesday or something like that. Right. And um, so we went in, there was, we got there early uh, and there was nobody in the lobby or anything. And so we went over to the ticket machine and I was trying to figure it out. I'm really slow with these things. So I was like, mm, how do I do this? And Denise was standing there and, uh, and uh, someone came over and said, can I help you? And she said, oh, we're, we're buying tickets for Pet Cemetery." <laughs> and he said, uh-huh. And she stood there for a second. And then she said, you know, we were in the original. 
this this is Brad and my name's Denise and we were in the original pet cemetery. She was so proud, and he he said uh huh, and she said yeah he he played Victor Pascal and and I was you know I was one of the leads. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. Do you need help with the machine? Oh uh, no, I think I got it. Okay, good. So he brought us in. <laughs> And uh, and so we found some seats up in the back of the theater and it was one of those places where you can order wine and food and stuff. So we, we got some wine and they brought it in and uh, we were just chatting, chatting, chatting. And then the lights went down and, you know, preview started and we watched the movie. And uh, the end of the movie, the lights came up and there was nobody else in the theater. We thought, huh, well, OK, this was a good show to come see. And uh, we sat there chatting and chatting and chatting and chatting. And finally, the manager came in. Uh, and he said, is everything okay? And we said, oh yeah, we're just talking, we're just talking. And, and, uh, and then I commented, nobody else came in to see the movie. And he said, well, I blocked the theater off for you guys because you deserved your own private screening. And we were just, we were flabbergasted. It was such a sweet thing to do, such a, so sweet, so kind, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so much appreciated. It was really great. We were both just knocked out by that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was deserved. What were your thoughts on the remake when you saw it? Because I'll tell you, to be honest, I'm not a remake guy. Once remakes come about, I just don't have time for it because I'm, I'm a purist. I respect what the, the legends like as yourself did for film. I have no time for it. But what, what were your thoughts on the remake? Um, well, it was, uh, it, it was a good attempt at an update. You know, it, it had lots of jump scares that we didn't have because the style is different. Um, it, uh, it moved through the first part of the film much faster than we did. Um, it didn't have that, that you know, in the 80s, the, those horror movies, the Stephen King movies had this campy thing to them. And that's what, that's partly why Victor Pascal was in there for this kind of campy, over-the-top humor, you know, um, and all of his movies then had that, you know, um, like, you know, like, 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 for a while, all of those Stephen King films had elements of creep show. <laughs> they did. <laughs> you know, just know exactly little reminders that this is a silly horror movie, guys, don't take it all so seriously, and to get everybody to lighten up, and then you have your scare, you know. So the new one didn't have that, because that's not the fashion now. No. Um, jump scares are the fashion um i i was uh i thought what they did with church was great i thought it was you know the the, the cat was like there whenever <laughs> um but i think uh what i i was disappointed with um that they cut pascal down to almost nothing he, he was just an emissary right and um when I went to see it with my um, with my family, my kids who at that point then were grown, they were in their twenties. Um, uh, one of them said, "You know what? Here's what's missing. When in your original show, whenever Victor Pascal appeared, you had hope. You had hope that things would be okay. But it's a horror movie. You know that things are not going to be okay. But still, you would have hope. So whenever Pascal appeared." you'd hope uh and that wasn't in the the new film right uh they cut him down to just be an emissary and deliver this message from the other side and then dropped the character um which i thought was you know uh, i i understand their their choice in that but i i thought mm, i preferred 
the original in that respect, you know? Um, and otherwise it's very hard to, you know, comment on it because I was in the original, you know? Of course I'm gonna like that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the original is always better than the remake. That's what I say. But just being a director and an actor and a creative in, in film, how do you feel about the originality as far as horror goes in Hollywood? And why do you feel as though Hollywood just wants to keep making these reboots and remakes? Where, where are the Wes Cravens and John Carpenters of today? Well, um, they're still there. It's, you know, it's always, remakes are always about, it's about fiscal safety. Uh, it's it's a safer bet for the people who make the financial decisions. It's a safer bet because it worked once before. Let's reintroduce this to a new generation. It'll probably work again, right? Rather than taking a script where you're like, what in the world is this? How do we know this is going to be a, a hit? How do we know we're going to make money? Because most movies don't make money. Most of them don't right? It's usually a loss for the investors. Ones that, then there's some that, you know, break even, some that make a bit of profit, and then a, a tiny few that rake in gazillions, right? Um, <clears throat> so it's a safer, you know, it's, it's a very risky business financially, and there's a bit of safety in that. I think part of the problem with Hollywood now, and there's always been remakes, you know, they've, they've, yeah. Like Star I said, the original really Frankenstein was written, was made in 1913, you know, yeah. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There was a silent version of that as well. And that, that's been remade many times. Um, so it's nothing really new. But uh, I think uh, one of the problems now is, and this has been going on for a while, is that the, uh, a lot of the executives, studio executives, have come to movies from other industries. They haven't come up through the entertainment industry like, like many of the studio heads did back in the day, you know, Louis B. Mayer and, and, and Lemley and all of those, the Warners, they, they all like, you know, they, they were movie people. Um, what you're getting is, is people coming from other industries, the auto industry, the, this industry, that industry, uh, and they know the equations to make money doesn't quite work in Hollywood, but they're not creative people. They're just dollars and red lines and, you know, the bottom line, all of that. That's, I think, part of the problem, that they're not creative people. Maybe they want to be, but they're not. No. <laughs> uh, it, it takes a lot of guts to be a creative person. It takes a lot of guts to be a, a, a financial person in Hollywood, too, but it's a different kind of thing. And, uh, and therefore, I think uh, it's harder for those people to recognize the potential of a script, right? Therefore, it's harder for new writers and new directors to even get started if they're not in the club already, right? Because the ones who give the green light don't necessarily know what has a potential for being really artistically good, which can make it financially good. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. Yeah, that's that's my take on it anyway. That's what I think. Who knows? 
Can you imagine if they remade a movie such as Jaws? I think I think us film fans would have to go out and protest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be tough. Yeah, there's some movies that you can't really you can't really uh, you can't touch them. You know, no. and you never will. <laughs> no. <laughs> the CGI era, it's just um, unbelievable. But yeah, <laughs> oh man, it's just insane. But Pet Cemetery, one of the greatest. It's it's a top five Stephen King movie, no doubt about it. It's it's gotta be in there in top five. I know everyone always favors the shining and misery, but to me, Pet Cemetery, if we're talking, I get the shining, they have that the gory imagery and and but mm. to me, Pet Cemetery next right next to the shining is a, a true Stephen King film in my mind, adaptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of uh, there were after Pet Cemetery, the the you know it it didn't get the best reviews. I got to say, Pet Cemetery, the original reviews were not great. Mm -hmm. They were grudgingly good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like okay, it's a horror movie. It has some good things, but you know, because they couldn't give any horror movie really good reviews, and then. Then, you know, Stephen King, after, after Pet Cemetery, his, his reputation continued to grow, both as a writer and as, as, um, as far as the uh, transition to films. And, um, and, and, you know, it's a whole different environment now. Um, so so the Pet Cemetery now, I think, is more popular than when it was first released, you know? I mean, I go to these conventions and... The, the people there all saw it when they were children and it's a part of their childhood. It's a part of their personal movie history. You, you know what I mean? So it's become very, very popular now. Uh, I mean, it was popular when it was released. It made a, a bunch of money uh, in its first release. And then it was really forgotten for a while, for quite a while, you know? Uh, and now it's got this resurgence, but you know, you never know. I mean, at the time it was a low budget horror movie, you know, Stephen King. Yes. The novel was, was very popular. Yes. But it was a horror movie at a time when horror movies were not respected. Mm -hmm. There were plenty around. They just weren't respected, you know? Which is insane because I consider the eighties, the golden era of horror movies. <laughs> it's so yeah, insane. but it was, you know, it was chipping away to force their way into getting that respect from yeah. critics and from audiences, you know, uh, and, and the horror genre did that. It managed to, to gain respect, but it took a long time. You it know? took into the two thousands. If you think yes. about it. Yeah, which is insane because the movies aren't as good anymore. <laughs> oh, there's some really good ones these in days. My mind. <laughs> yeah, the the there were you know there were a lot of bad ones in the '80s too, but they've been like you know you don't ever see them because they've no. been like you know they're done. <laughs> yeah, those are those are the Z movies, <laughs> not the B ones. Right. The Z. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. it's has there ever been a horror movie that scared you? Because I know I've heard you say that nothing really has frightened you as far as like what you see on screen today. But you like you used to like being scared as a kid seeing these classic Universal monsters. Yeah. Has there any been any movie that stood out in your mind that ever terrified you in some sort of way or lingered with you? Well, um. Psycho always scares me. The original um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock film. Even now, that scares me. That does scare me, even when I know what's going to happen. Um, 
Another movie that really scared me was the original French film, The Vanishing. Do you know that film? I've heard of it. I've never seen it, though. Yeah, there was an American remake that wasn't very good. The original French one, that was scary. That was, and it's just, you know, um, a couple on a road trip, they stop for gas. The guy goes in to pay, comes out, his girlfriend's gone. And he can't find her. And then what, you know, what comes is just, it's all psychological horror. It's what you imagine having happened or happening, you know. There's no monsters, there's no blood. That really scared me. That really, really scared me. Um, uh, and otherwise, no, I kind of look at them, you know, with a sense of distance. I don't really um, get sucked into the the horror, you know, the scares and the, the blood and all that. I'm very entertained by it all, very much so. But I don't really get pulled into the story so much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I get what you mean. I, I understand yeah. it. But I, they say at the best horror is what you don't see. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, this is what Stephen King is so good at in his books. He like sets up these situations and these characters and leads them up to a point. And then the chapter ends. And your, your head goes crazy with what's happening. The next chapter is the aftermath, right? Mm -hmm. He's so brilliant with that because you a lot of the, all of those scares, that fear happens between the end of chapter nine and the beginning of chapter 10. <laughs> happens in your mind, you, you know what I mean? He's, he's great at that, really great. I know at conventions sometimes, I know Bill Mosley will dress up as Chop Top, so Kane Hodder will put on the Jason costume. As there, have you put on the, the Victor Pascal makeup at all for any? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I did enough for one lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the fans, they come dressed up like that. You know, they, they some of them have their whole thing or they bring pictures of their Halloween costumes and they do like amazing jobs with these uh, with their makeups. And there's many people with my face tattooed on their body somewhere which is uh uh you know at first i was like what you have my face on your <laughs> that's kind of weird but now I, I see it as a real compliment it's a real compliment you know because the, the tattoo work is so good too you know um one day uh somebody brought my head they brought like a a, a, a mold of my my head and wanted me to sign it i needed to sign my head for them <laughs> That was funny. Uh, but no, I don't I don't really want to. Um, and I don't have any of those brain pieces anyway. You know, I don't have any of that stuff. Um, uh, so, no, I'd rather just uh, appear as I am. Yeah, uh, that attracts <laughs> enough attention. <laughs> Has there ever been a fellow horror actor that came up to you when you first started coming to these conventions and loved your role and said that he loved your role as Victor Pascal in Pet Cemetery? Oh, yeah, many, many. And these were people that I was like, oh, my God, this is like an icon. But uh, I can't think of any now, but many have. I mean, I, I meet all these like real horror icons doing these these shows. Um, and now I'm just blanking on them all. Um, but that's a great part of it, you know, is meeting all these people that have done such good work, you know such amazing work or are just some of them, you know, some that I meet did one movie, one movie, 
uh, that, and then they went off and did another life. They had a whole other life. They didn't continue acting. They just did one movie and went off and did many other interesting things. And now they do these conventions because that's one of the movies that for whatever reason lasted, you know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Those are always interesting people to, uh, to meet and talk with, you know? Um, uh, yeah, the, the conventions at first, I was like, eh, I don't know about this, but I found out with my first convention within 10 minutes, oh, this is great. These fans are so sweet. They're so kind and so grateful. I mean, what's not to like? Even if I didn't make any money, this is great. This is nice to know that I'm appreciated for this movie I did so long ago, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's it goes really, to show you that you you care about the fans. That's important too, and vice versa. That these fans, yeah, are, and they care about me. It's like it's like amazing, you know. It's it's really uh, it's really humbling. It's really it's really great. It's yeah, great. A hundred percent. I want to get into some other work that you've done before we get into mm -hmm. the Lost Souls, but because uh, I cover hip hop on my show, gang related with Tupac Shakur. Yes. <laughs> I was working with Tupac. He's probably the greatest rapper of all time, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, well, he was he was very nice. He was around. I didn't have any direct interactions with him. We were in the courtroom scene together. And, um, you know, he kind of had his entourage that he came with. And, and But when he was, you know, on the set, he was just like everybody else, just uh, just trying to make that movie. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, nice guy. Uh, tragic what happened afterwards you know um but yeah he was um he was all right he was he was just a friendly nice guy i don't know if anyone wants to hear that about him but <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was and a little bit shy actually when when he didn't have all his uh all of his folks around you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh well people the, the media portrayed him in such a way and i kane hotter did a did the stunts in a movie that he was in he just described in the same way that you did just a nice guy i think mm -hmm. media took it to another extreme and then the hip-hop persona to him where people just escalated higher than it really was and you know it, it is tragic but it's amazing that you had the opportunity to work alongside him in that movie and take part in it yeah yeah but you know a lot of the you know the a lot of these people the big big celebrities when you're working with them they're just there and they're about working, working together, right? Doing what we do, getting down to the nitty gritty, hitting your mark, saying your lines in a way that you know how to say them and, and promote the story, um, dealing with this problem and that problem. There's all of that, all of that uh, image stuff falls away because that's all kind of created to, to it's a business thing, you know, this, this whole thing to lift someone up into the celebrity status. But when you're actually working and shooting a scene, it's about getting the shots and telling the story and everybody's just working, working at that task. And all of that other stuff just goes away. Mm. Usually there's, there've been a few stars I've worked with where it was not like that, but for the most part, that's what it is right mm -hmm. with everybody and that's the way it was with him mm -hmm. before i get into the lost souls I actually have another question because you also worked in a movie theater in new york and the american museum of national history how was that experience no 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 i didn't not there i was i worked at the uh 
Metropolitan Museum. Oh, Metropolitan. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but my first job in New York was at a movie theater, taking tickets. <laughs> it's a movie theater that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. It was on Fifty Eight. Was this before Pet Cemetery, or was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Because yeah. I, I heard an interview. It was so. It must have been out of order, and I. Yeah, no, I, I, it was my first job in New York, you know, I had just come up from Virginia, and I was unemployed, and et cetera, et cetera, and I got this job taking tickets at a movie theater, and, uh, and in those days, the tickets had two little holes in them, and you had to rip them in half, and put, give the customer their half, and put the other one on a spindle, right, and, uh, and the, the manager made me stand there at the door the whole day, so I was on my feet, I couldn't sit down on my feet for like 12 hours a day, right? Uh, and then I found out that, um, and this, I started working on a, like a Monday and on Thursday, I found out, oh, Saturday night there uh, te on television is airing uh, Laurence Olivier's uh, production of uh, King Lear, right? And I, so I told my, um, I wanted to see it because in those days there weren't any VCRs or anything like that. There's no way to record it, right? So uh back then you either saw it when it aired or you didn't see it and so i told my manager i can't work on saturday she said you have to work on saturday i said i can't she said well if you can't work on saturday i'm gonna have to let you go and i said okay because <laughs> <laughs> i was not gonna miss olivier doing oh. king beer right oh. i just wasn't going to so and then after that, a little while later, you know, I was unemployed again, of course. And then uh, I got a job at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which was a great job. You know, I worked there for a year um, and I was going to acting classes in the evenings. And but it was a great job because you got to see all this amazing art when nobody was there. And, you know, looking at paintings, you you develop a sense of movement in a two-dimensional work of art that is directly transferable to film and television. You know, you see a painting that moves you. Why? Where are the lines? Which, where, where are the trajectories? Where are the eyes looking? Where is, what, what is it about these eyes? What is it about the, the form of the body or the posture or the colors, the light that is painted onto this canvas that just hits you. What is it, right? And I absorbed an awful lot uh, from that. That is absolutely usable uh, every time, especially with a film, not so much with television, but with films where it's all visual, uh, creating that visual image. It's, it's, um, that was a great job for that. You know, you know what I mean? Because it kind of seeps in without you getting intellectual about it. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Lost Souls, Winona Ryder. What was it like working with her? Oh, again, very. She was very sweet, very kind. Um, uh, yeah, and and um, Ben Chaplin, same thing. Very, very nice. And uh, Janusz Kaminski, he he directed. Um, and I've since worked with him on two, two, two more times. Um, uh, he was like, you know, he's nuts. He's just this, this crazy, you know, cinematographer, but he was, um, he was, um, uh, he was directing that. And, you know, the, the film is gorgeous. It's gorgeous, but maybe it's a little too gorgeous because there were no scenes where it was not gorgeous, which was, it kind of puts you on overload. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, on that one, I had, I had, my whole body was covered with tattoos that they had to paint on every day. So that was, yeah, another big makeup job that took, you know, not as long as Pet Cemetery, but it was like two hours of painting tattoos on me. <laughs> <laughs> See, these younger actors will never know the experience that the older actors went through because it's all CGI now and the, the makeup is very yeah. new. I guess so. Yeah. But you know, also when I, on my first movie, The Bedroom Window, there was no video playback there. There was no, the, the Curtis Hansen who was directing sat right next to the camera watching, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Pet Cemetery was the first movie I did where they actually had a, a playback and it would take a little while to get it back, but then I could go and look at it, you know. Uh, yeah, so the technology has come, you know, quite a long way since I started. Oh, I feel so old now. <laughs> <laughs> you were part of the, the great era. That's what counts. The great era. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, but something that you're, you're very proud of is taking part in the in Star Trek, Star Trek Voyager. You were able mm -hmm. to take part in being the aliens that were appearing on the new episodes. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Those were... Uh, those were also big makeup jobs. Holy cow. Uh, on one of them, the Deep Space Nine, I was playing like this lizard gangster from outer space. And uh, that makeup, it was like everything. And, and the, the problem with those where your all of your skin is covered is that your skin can't breathe. Um, and it, it starts to affect you after a while, like after two or three days in that, and the days are long, they're 15, 16 hour days, you start to go a little crazy. And on that one, I couldn't even hear much. I couldn't, I would have to like pay attention to whoever I was working with, I would have to watch their lips. And when their lips stopped moving, that's when I had to speak because I couldn't hear because <laughs> my ears were covered. <laughs> those were those were hard makeups that one and uh and one on on uh, an episode of enterprise boy those were tough because i was completely covered um they took a long time and uh and then you know it's television so you shoot much faster than in films you know you just get up there and and get through long scenes in one take um those those were hard work uh, very, you know, uh, um, very uh, um, rewarding, ultimately, you know, but on the day, just tough because you're just completely covered, you know. Is there any upcoming work that you would love to promote that you have coming up? Any upcoming horror movies at all? And any work in general? Um, well, I just shot... Well, during the, you know, everything shut down during the pandemic. I mean, I had all these projects when we shut down. I had a, a lead role in a low budget movie, a small role in a larger movie, a play, and then there was some other movie as well. All of that was all set to go. And then the shutdown happened and most of them just shut down. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I, so, so, and for a while I didn't want to work at all. I was too scared about things. So, but I did um, do this little thing in uh, a movie called King Richard with uh, Will Smith. Um, that was my second movie with Will Smith. I was also in Ali. Um, he's the sweetest guy in the world, sweetest guy ever, I gotta say. Um, 
Uh, so I did that, and then I did. Uh, that's going to open this this November, I think, um, next month. Congratulations! Um, thanks, but it was a pretty small role because I was like I was dipping my toe into you know doing uh, work during a pandemic. You know, I, I wasn't sure, and that was before we had the vaccines. So yeah, I was kind of nervous about it, but I quickly realized, oh, this is one of the safest places to be in Los Angeles. I was on a film set, quite frankly. Um, and then I did uh, I did a couple of episodes on a show called Why Women Kill in the spring and that's aired you can see that on paramount plus um uh then i shot a, a kind of a sci-fi thing called uh resurrected which was a very strange experience the director was directing over zoom he was in russia he was directing over zoom and um and the shooting was it was a low budget thing shooting was very quick very nice crew um so I, I, but I really don't know how that will turn out. I have no idea. That's, that was an odd one. Um, and uh, what else? I think that's it. That's it. So uh, just looking forward to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> we can't forget one of your most important achievements in life is actually going on the teach acting to students. Yes. Yeah. I teach. Um, that's a nice thing to do between projects. Um, uh, I've got this little studio in Santa Monica and uh, and I teach film acting and I seem to I seem to teach things that nobody else teaches, you know, like how to how do you perform in a wide shot or a medium shot close up? You know, how do you how do you move in a wide shot? How do you move in a close up? How do you get your personality to, to pop on screen? Um, and you know various things, and it's not really about hitting marks and things like that. It's more about you know how do you how do you project your your personality mm -hmm. in a way that the camera can read it. You you know what I mean? So yeah, that's great fun. I've got a lot of uh, I've got a bunch of really good students. They're like they pay every week when they're supposed to, <laughs> and <laughs> they're very responsible and very good, very quick to to take these things that I give them, they're sometimes kind of wacky, but they, they grow very quickly and they work, they work. You know, they, they um, many students that have been with me for a while, they start working and have gone on to have good solid careers. So that's very gratifying. And just think that you're the, the leader pretty much for their careers by helping them out with these acting classes. That's what sends them on their way and, and prepare them. Yeah, cool. yeah, I'm kind of giving them a step up. Yeah, yeah. One uh, one class, like two years ago, maybe I did. I brought in a bunch of scenes from Pet Cemetery and had them. Oh. Do it. <laughs> I had did you, did your students that. realize that you played Victor Pascal? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. And they they thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I had somebody playing Victor Pascal. I had people playing all these other little scenes from from the movie. You know, uh, Timmy Baderman. You know, who's like all. <laughs> <laughs> back from the dead <laughs> that was great fun um but you know because in the class we shoot things we shoot a lot of stuff i've got all these cameras and mics and lights and things like that and uh uh so yeah yeah was, that was uh that was a fun that was a fun class that one <laughs> <laughs> that's great oh brad i want to thank you for coming on the show here today is there anything else you would love to let the audience know where they can follow you on instagram and twitter and social media anywhere else any upcoming uh, conventions you may be doing 
Uh, I don't know what conventions are next. Um, I don't know. Just keep your eyes and ears open. And um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm easy to find on Instagram. That's that's the only social media I really do. Uh, and uh, um, uh, that's about it. Uh, oh, I would say this. As uh, soon as you feel comfortable with it, get back in a movie theater, go see movies, because movies have been dying. They're dying. Television has won the battle. But movies, there's nothing like seeing a movie in a theater with a lot of other people, whether it's a horror movie or a comedy or a drama. It's a shared experience with a large group of people. And um, and the movies are slowly dying away. So so please, when you feel safe, go to a movie theater, see a movie. Mm -hmm. All right. We could start next week by going to see Halloween Kills. I, I I don't know if you've heard the news, but they put that on Peacock. They're going to have that released on Peacock. So that's kind of mess with the numbers of people who go see it in yeah. theaters, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. That's the way the industry is going. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, the pandemic gave it a big boost, you know, with at home viewing. Uh, but I, again, the, seeing a movie on a big screen is magic. There's nothing like it. It's 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 i think for me it's more magical than seeing it on a small screen alone i you agree yeah. <laughs> you get the whole surround sound everything the big experience yeah like it. it just takes you into another place for two hours and seeing those faces so big on a screen is just and with other people it's uh it's a magic thing and it's slowly dying so please visit your local theater support them go see lots of movies that's what I would like to ask. Get everyone. off social media and the phones and get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's to the youth, that is pretty much. And, and adults are starting to get into it, but more of the youth. Get out. And yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> because I, I appreciate it for you coming on my show. And you're always welcome. Anytime you need any promotions for any of your upcoming work, classes, whatever it is, you, you, you always have a spot on the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Max. That's really sweet of you. That's really generous of you. Thank you. I'll keep that in mind. Of course. Um, thanks for having me. I mean, I'm, I'm really I, I'm, I'm quite honored to be on your show. And you've you did such great research. Thank you on uh, on me. I'm, I'm like really flabbergasted. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty Thank great. You. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll stay in touch, okay? Yes, we'll stay in touch. I'll be sending you an email, and, you know, I want you to enjoy the rest of your day. Stay safe during this time, and I want you to enjoy your October and as well as your Halloween. <laughs> Halloween, yes, yes. I'm going to a concert on Halloween. I'm going to oh, see uh, the Who Band. Have you ever okay. heard of the Who Band? Yeah, I've heard of the Who. Now, is this the same Who that performed at the Super Bowl years ago? No. Okay, no, this, so this is, is called the Who Band. They're, okay, they're the Band. a bunch of Mongolian throat singers. Okay. And they play this, look them up, H-U, the Who Band. It's pretty great music. So they're coming to L.A. And uh, so my whole family is oh, that's good. <laughs> taking me to see this, uh, this show. Uh, uh, it's at some small venue here in uh, Los Angeles. So that's what I'm doing this Halloween. <laughs> that's great. At least you're doing something uh, um, yeah, with yeah, this pandemic yeah. going on. So you got to get out and do something. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're we feeling, got through but... it, didn't we? We all got through it, yes, right? We did. We got, we got through it healthy and uh, and a bit rattled, but uh, we got through it. Holy cow. Yeah. That could have uh, that could have destroyed humanity, couldn't it? Yeah, it could have, and things have turned for the better here. Thank yes, thank yes, God. yes, yes. All right, Max. Yes, um, Brad. Yes, we'll yes. we'll be in touch. We'll we'll talk again soon. Okay. Yes, for sure, Brad. I want to thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Okay, you too. Yes. Yeah. Bye. Bye.